0: Come on, you can do better than that, can't you? Praise him. We're going to sing a little more in a minute. Why don't you be seated for just a second? Um, I hope that you're having a good day. Everybody off to a good start? Me too, me too. I got, I got a cup of coffee a minute ago, thinking, hey, I'm going to grab a quick cup of coffee. And my process was to dump that entire cup of coffee right down the front of myself a minute ago. I can tell people are like, what are you wearing today? Folgers. Medium dark, right? That's kind of what it feels like today. I hope you're off to a good start. Wherever you're joining us from today, thank you for taking time on this holiday weekend to gather. And what I want to talk about for just a minute before we pray and we sing a little more One of the things we want to be more intentional with when we gather is prayer together. Now, I think what we're up against is in our part of the world, we tend to be very individualistic in how we see a relationship with God. And don't misunderstand me, it is. It's it's a personal relationship between you and God, but we sort of have this attitude that it's just me and God. And I'm telling you that when you read the New Testament and then even when we travel to, to, to different parts of the world at worshiping with the church, it is a bigger picture than just you and God. It is you and us and God. It is how God designed us. And, and what we're going to see in a few minutes from a, a story in the book of Acts it is a story where it says the church prayed, here's the word, earnestly. Now, that's a weird word. Like, I don't use the word earnestly on, on, a, on a regular basis, but here's what it means. It's a Greek word that means to be stretched to the limit. It would be used like in a medical term describing a muscle that would be stretched to its fullest capacity. It was an intense word. That's what it meant. It was a word of intensity. And so in the New Testament, that word sometimes is attached to describe an intense, stretching love. Sometimes it's used to describe an intense, stretching service. Sometimes it's used to describe an intense, stretching prayer. And what I want us to realize today is that God has designed the church to stretch out in prayer together. If God, right, didn't intend for this to be together, he never would have told us together. If this was just between you and him, he could just accomplish that by yourself wherever you are. But a part of coming together, he says, is so that we will be encouraged. And a part of being encouraged is when you are willing to stretch with me in prayer when I am willing to stretch with you in prayer. And I'm saying, we can do better at this. We can grow in this. So one of the things that I want to encourage us to pray for today, for example, is our team in Togo. Uh, We got a team of people who who have been there for uh, a week or so now. They are seeing some really cool things happen. Um, I, I think we got a photo here they brought a gift for the chief. That's the chief of the village. So literally, that's a chief wearing a chief's jersey. That's exactly what that is in the truest sense of the word. They have seen people come to meet Jesus already. Um, They have gathered at the school uh, where we are praying through a possibility of a school that could exist there. Um, There's about... 30 to 40 kids, apparently, that would attend that school to start. There's about three teachers or so. Um, they have already, our, our crew is already um, commissioned, if you will, for some, for, for some benches to be built. I guess we would think like desks, you know, in order for them to be able to start to function. And they're going to continue to look at, hey, what does this look like going forward to provide a school in a predominantly Muslim territory where people who are teaching know Jesus and can share the good news of Jesus with them. We need to pray about that, and we need to stretch together in praying for that. I think we got another photo. This this morning was Kevin um, who was opening God's word to the church. It's also a chance to encourage the church there and to to build them up. Um, So I want to encourage you right now, wherever you are, we want to together pray for this team. Now, there are other things that we need to pray about today, too. Um, some of you, because this week I, I know, you have loved ones who are, they have COVID. Some of you have loved ones who are in the hospital right now. now I want you to listen to what I'm saying, that m- most people that I know are just worn out with COVID. They're just worn out with it. But just because we're worn out with it doesn't lead us to say, I'm I'm just not going to have any. No, it it leads the people of God to say, yeah, we're tired of this thing, but we are not going to stop stretching for our brothers and sisters in prayer, and we're going to keep battling for one another. That's where we should be different. at most of the locations today there are people that will be uh, available in the room that's going to be the case here where i want to encourage you to to not be shy about um maybe praying with one of them having them pray for you um but but that's that's not I, that's not the whole picture w- what i would love to see happen is where the person that maybe you're going to pray with maybe It's somebody you know that's sitting on your row. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's somebody in your family. Maybe it's just somebody you know in God's church, and you would be willing to just go to them and say, hey, could we just pray for a second about this or that, whatever it is? Here's what I want you to realize. For those of you who are veterans in the faith, all right, you've been following Jesus for a while. It is true that we don't ever wanna make a show out of something like prayer. Jesus spoke to that. We don't ever wanna make a show out of, right, how how beautiful our words can be, or even just doing it so that people will see us praying and think that we're, that, that's not at all where we want our hearts to be. But we also don't wanna let that be an excuse for realizing When you pray and are visible praying with people, so when I just go to somebody and go, hey, can we pray about this, and we do that when we gather, do you realize you are opening a gigantic door for other people who really do have some giant things in their life that they wish they could just pray with somebody about, but there ain't no way they're gonna be the only person to go ask somebody to pray. There is a togetherness in this where when you and I are willing to pray for the everyday things, it opens the door for even those mountain things that together the church can stretch and pray. So let me tell you a story and then we'll pray because I want you to know That God really does answer prayer. We got word several weeks ago that um, a lady that she is a sister in Christ that we've known for a long time, lives in another part of the world. Um, Her mom was dying, and she was asking us to pray. I'm sure that her mom could be well, but it didn't look like that was probably going to be the case. She was praying for an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with her mom one more time. Not this last Wednesday, but the Wednesday before, on Wednesday mornings, I often get to meet with A group of people gathers on Wednesday morning. I don't know if you know this or not, at the vault in Harrisonville. It's open to everybody. Sometimes people stop by on their way to work. Sometimes people just go there to pray and go back home. But two Wednesdays ago, we were praying and intently praying for this woman. Later in the day, we got word. Not only... Was there an opportunity for the gospel to be shared with her? But she put her faith in Jesus. And when we got the story, it happened at the exact time that we had gathered and together were asking, stretching, intensely asking God to save her. I just want you to know that God really does answer prayer. So let the church pray. We're going to hang out for a few minutes, just going to kind of give us some, some music a little bit. I, I encourage you, if, if there's somebody you're comfortable praying with, I I, want, I know it's stretching, but I want to encourage you to stretch because there is supernatural stuff in the stretching. If you just want to kneel, man, find you a spot and kneel in the room. You can Where you're seated, you're always welcome to come to the front. I I, I just want us to realize the gift that God has given us in this. And let's stretch and not be afraid to be the church. I appreciate you guys listening. Let's pray and then we will uh, sing some more. Do you ever feel like Sometimes, God scores touchdowns. But at other times, if you're really, really honest, you wonder if he fumbles the ball. I mean, you've kind of really got to be honest. I wonder if there were some in the early church Who felt that way when we read today's story from Acts chapter 12? Here's why two apostles are imprisoned, two of them. One of them, by miracle, will escape prison, the other one will be killed. And so there's a bit of a question there that we go, God, why didn't you rescue them both? I mean, anybody else willing to ask that question? It's like, obviously you can. So why did one die and one be miraculously delivered? Let me set up the story for you. It's important that you know that the, the person who is, in do, who is doing the imprisonment is, is called King Herod. Now, here's a little bit what's confusing. When you're reading the New Testament, there are multiple King Herods that show up, right? So, first of all, when Jesus is born, there is King Herod. That's Herod the Great, Jesus is born. Remember, he's threatened by that. He attempts to kill Jesus by having all those infant boys killed around Bethlehem. That is Herod the Great. Then, as you keep reading the New Testament story, you've got Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas is a different guy. He, he is the one who has John the Baptist executed. Remember, we looked at that story and he is the one who is involved in Jesus' trial. So in Acts chapter 4, when we read that Herod was one of those guilty of the crucifixion of Jesus, it's Herod Antipas that it was talking about. But then we arrive to a third Herod in today's story. He is Herod Agrippa I. He is the one who is leading the persecution in the book of Acts. He's actually the grandson of Herod the Great, and he's the nephew of Herod Antipas. And he rules in Jerusalem about A.D. 41 to 44. He is what we would call a a client king or a puppet king. And the reason we call him a puppet king is because who was really in power in Israel at that time? Rome. Rome was the power. But they would place these people like Herod in a role of kingship in order to handle some of the religious authority issues that would, that would rise up. And so Herod's main priority, keep the peace. That's, we want these people getting along. We don't want there being any uprisings happening right in in Jerusalem or anywhere else. Let's do what we need to do to keep these people happy. That's what you need to know to pick up our story in Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Here's what it says. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, He put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. James Brother of John, those fishermen that Jesus first called to follow him. These are these are the the sons of thunder, right? Some of the most well known of the twelve who followed Jesus. James is the first apostle martyred. Stephen had been martyred, but James is one of the twelve the church feels the punch. One of the, I mean, we would call significant leaders, he His life is taken. And what it says is that when Herod's approval rating begins to rise, why is his approval rating rising? Because all of those Jews who reject Jesus as the Messiah, they love the fact that Herod is willing to take out somebody like James. All James does with his life is go around and declare that Jesus really is the son of God. And so if Herod would take such action, they applaud and he is all about the applause so much so that now Herod decides let's go after a bigger fish and there is no bigger fish than Peter and so we're told that he has Peter arrested and he knows the size of this prize because he has him guarded by four squads of four soldiers right The plan is that after the Passover, Peter would also be brought out for a mock trial and the goal is that the same fate that James has experienced, we will take Peter's life too. I want you to try a little bit to imagine the atmosphere of the church at that point. I mean, again, they know this is dangerous because they saw Stephen die. They know that lives can be taken. They know that there's persecution. But all of a sudden, man, when, when one of the big guns is taken out and then another one is placed in prison and seemingly headed for the, for the same action, what will they do? And what we're told they do is they pray earnestly. They are stretching out in prayer together. It is intense. So what happens when you find yourself feeling small? What happens when you find yourself feeling overwhelmed by the enemy power around you? What happens when some of those that you look to the most to lead are taken out? Well, As you are praying, this is what you need to know. If you stay with Jesus, you win. And if you oppose Him, you lose. As you're praying, this is what you need to know. If you stay with Jesus, you win. And if you oppose him, you lose. That is exactly. What the church at that point needed to be reminded of, needed to know. I believe that is exactly why Acts chapter 12 is put in the story. This is why God gives us this particular part of the story of the New Testament church. And I'm saying maybe, just maybe, that's what some of you that I am speaking to today need to be reminded of, need to hear again. If you stay with Jesus, you win. And if you oppose him, you lose. Let me show you what God does. Verse six. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. He's doing what? He's doing what? Yeah, we'll come back to that. Peter's sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then... The angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision because this has happened, right? Peter's seen the vision before. We read that in Acts chapter 10. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. Well, first he's asleep. And again, we'll come back and talk about that. What else does he do in this, in this, in this story? He, he, you notice he just follows instruction. And here is the intensity of the, the instruction. Put on your clothes. Okay. Put on your shoes. Okay. Put on your cloak. Okay. That's what he does. But the story is what? The chains, he pries them off. The chains what? They fall off. It says they they just go past the guards because they fought them off. No, they, they just go past the first and second sets of guards. And then the gate, right? They finally pry the gate open. No, the gate does what? It opens by itself. Luke is very specific to give us those details. Why? Because the point is, Peter does not escape from prison. God removes him. God delivers him. It didn't matter how many guards there were. It did not matter how many gates there were. It did not matter how many chains there were. The point that God is making here is let's be clear Who's in control? And it ain't Herod. It's God. Well, the story continues that Peter, when he realizes, right, when he suddenly finds himself out in the street, right, he's like, for sure, this is for real. This is not just a vision. I'm not in a prison anymore. It says that he goes to a house where everybody, they're, they're praying, Who are they praying for? Him. And it is a a servant girl who first hears the knock at the door. She goes to answer. And this is what it says in verse 14. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it. All right, this is, I mean, I think Luke's probably laughing when he's retelling this story, right? She hears him, she hears, she's so excited, she doesn't think to open the door. She just goes back to tell him, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. Now, I don't know how much of this is them just trying to pacify her, like she keeps bothering us with this, um, whatever the case, they, they go to the point of inventing some theology to accommodate their unbelief. Nowhere else in the New Testament do we read about people have, being angels. Like that's not people or people, angels are angels. They invent some theology to accommodate their unbelief. I'm gonna ask... If anybody else is going to be willing to admit like I'm about to that sometimes I have been guilty of praying with more passion than faith anybody else ever been guilty like I, there have just been moments that I can look back and go, man, I was passionate about praying, but I don't know how much faith I had, actually, in what I was asked. That is the case, right? What are they praying for? That Peter will be delivered. He shows up at the door, and what does it say? They don't believe it. They don't believe it. Aren't you glad that sometimes God still answers prayer when it seems like all you're bringing to the table is a seed of faith he does the next morning there is a mad scramble at the prison everybody's trying to figure out where in the world did peter go after finger right is pointed every direction who's going to take the blame herod has some guards executed and then it says he leaves for Caesarea. Now, I don't know if part of that is embarrassment, right? Because everybody knew he had Peter and now he doesn't. And the story is circulating. Here's what's happened: Is it embarrassment? Is it anger? Is it just, hey, it's time to head to Caesarea for some Mediterranean sun? I don't know. Whatever the reason, He heads out of town, and it is in Caesarea that Luke actually pulls back the curtain, and he helps us get more insight into what is really going on in this man Herod's heart. Here's the story. There's a couple of cities in Syria, actually, that depend on the area over which Herod rules. They depend on food from Galilee. Well, Herod is mad at them, something that's got him bent out of shape. And so the food supply for these cities is in jeopardy. They need it. So they're looking for a way to please Herod. Well, Herod's all about being pleased. And so the story is, well, let me just read. This part of it to you. Let's read verse 21 and 22. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a God, not a man. Here's what's going on Herod withholding the food, right? They are trying to do everything they can to to, to please him, to get the food that they need. And and, and Herod is just going to take advantage of this as far as he possibly can. There's this big event that happens. Um, It is most likely from some of the external writings we read that this would have happened in one of the big theaters that most likely Herod the Great would have built somewhere during his reign. There were tiers upon tiers of seating in these outdoor theaters where the people could just pack the place and they could just praise the arrogant rulers. Josephus, who is actually a, Jewish historian during this same time records for us that Herod's robe that's mentioned here that it is silver and that it just glistened and gleamed in the sunlight and so you got to imagine this, this throne-type setting, big event, all the, all the people of the, of the city is, are there, right? Here comes Herod on this throne. And, and just even his robe, it just glitters and glistens in the sun. All of that imagery pointing glory to Herod. And it goes to the point that they call him not a man, but a God. And instead of refusing such glory, Herod accepts it. What's he doing? He is, in essence, taking glory, attempting to rob glory from the only one whom glory is due that's God and Luke is very specific in connecting the dots to that truth to what happens next we don't have to sit here and go "Hmm, is that coincidence like is that coincidence that that Herod is glory hungry and and he's letting them call him a God is that a coincidence between that and what's happening next Luke says this is no coincidence. Check it out, verse 23. Immediately because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. Ooh. There is an order here struck down, eaten by worms, died. And I think we would tend to read that and go, well, that's just, that's just language. That's just the Jewish way of saying you know, that uh, Herod, Herod died in this way. But again, if we lean into Josephus, the historian, Josephus adds some footnotes here. He says that at that event, Immediately, immediately, Herod was incapacitated by a severe pain. And Josephus tells us that he lives with that for five days and then he dies. And Luke gives us the details of what's happening here. Herod wants to show himself as a god. So God shows Herod to be weaker than a worm. Herod wants to show his power. God says, Here's how powerful you are a worm. Will take you out. In the Bible, there are numerous places I could give you a big list. I'm just going to remind you of Daniel today. You read the old story, Old Testament story of Daniel, he tells us in the second chapter that God changes times and seasons, that God removes kings, and he sets them up as kings. It's the reminder, who's in charge? Not ultimately the kings, but God. And remember the story in Daniel of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, what does he do? He boasts, is not this great Babylon which I have built with my mighty power as a royal residence and for my royal majesty? And a voice from God at that moment says, you're going to eat grass like an ox until you have learned that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Woo! This is clear. God will put rulers in their place sooner or later. He will put rulers in their place sooner or later. In today's story, in Acts chapter 12, he puts Herod in his place first by taking the prize prisoner, right? That Herod thinks, man, he he has accomplished the ultimate. God takes Peter right out from under his nose. And then he takes Herod's life. So, I told you this at the beginning. I'm hoping that it seeks in, sinks in a little more now. If you stay with Jesus, <laughs> you win. And if you oppose him, you lose. And I'm telling you, that is why Luke gives us Acts chapter 12 at this point in the church's story. But let's be honest again. Some of us are still stuck on James. Let's just leave this statement here. If you stay with Jesus, you win. And we're going, James, you know the one who didn't get rescued from prison the one who died by the sword. Can we be honest and go, that doesn't feel like a win. He died. And then after we get to Peter's story, we're like, come on, God. It's not that you couldn't do it. You just proved how easy this is for you. Chains fell off. You walk by the guards, right? The gate opens by itself. God, you rescued Peter. Why not James? James. I think it's okay to ask those questions to God. I'd rather you take them to him than anywhere else. But I also believe that's why this chapter is given to us to help us understand something so powerfully. We struggle with these things because we struggle with our view of what winning really looks like in the kingdom of God. We struggle with what winning really looks like in the kingdom of God. Now, let me just lay this foundation for you. We believe, we read scripture, we teach, we believe that God has granted those who put their trust in Jesus eternal life, right? We believe that. He gives us eternal life. Now, when we say eternal life, we're talking about Jesus' life, right? He gives us life, which means eternal life is not just life in heaven one day. Jesus made it clear that eternal life is also now because when you know him, when he lives within you, you have the eternal, you have that life in you now, there is a a sense of we have eternal life now. But one day, we get a brand new body, we get a brand new home, right? All wrongs will be made right, and we get to experience that eternal life with Jesus forever and ever and ever. We have been given eternal life. Now, we have been given eternal life forever. We win, and all wrongs will be made right. This part of that life, in this temporary body, the scripture describes it like a vapor. A vapor that's just, and then it's gone. It's quick. And we, we get that. We, we, we say that. We, we, we speak in terms of this, this, this win, this eternality that, that God has given us, right? This part of the story, our life right now, it is just a blip, right? Compared to forever and ever and ever with him. But come on, as soon as God doesn't act like we think he should act, we are blowing the whistle and throwing the flag, and declaring, God, why are you doing this? Or why are you not doing this? God, don't you care about James? God, did you fumble here? So I'm gonna take you back and ask you one more time Peter in chains between two soldiers guarded by sentries, we're told, on the night before he is about to be brought to trial for the same purpose. That was carried out for James. And I'm going to ask you one more time What was Peter doing? Sleeping. He was sleeping. How? can a man be sleeping in chains knowing that when the sun comes up he most likely faces the same fate of his brother who he loved and just lost I couldn't help but thinking this week I wonder how much money just our nation spends on sleeping pills in a week. And don't hear that wrong. Hear it right. Like we live in a culture that sometimes just flat struggles to sleep, period. How does a man sleep? In this circumstance. And I would just like to throw out today that perhaps one of the great evaluators in determining if you truly understand winning in the kingdom of God is sleep. In sleep. I love the fact that Peter's sleeping, but what's the church doing? They're awake. Because they're doing what? They're praying for him. And I'm finding myself this week going, God, that's who I want to be. Like, that is who I want to be. I want to be the guy who so understands winning in the kingdom of God that, that God, whatever I find myself in, I want to be the guy who can truly sleep when it's time to sleep. Because I I trust you in the winning, but at the same time, I want to be the guy that if my brother is is in prison, if my brother is in chains, if my brother is being hurt, I'll also be the guy who will stay up all night and pray for him. Man, that's who I want to be. What a beautiful picture of what the church looks like. I can sleep when it's me, but I will stretch when it's you. You can sleep when it's you, but you can stretch if it's me. I love the imagery that God gives us here. Peter understands winning. He gets the big picture. And that big picture is made clear for us in the next verse. We don't have to wonder. Here's what Luke gives us. Verse 24, it says, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them. John also called Mark. It's like, why did he put that there? Here's why he put that there. He's like, and the church rolled on. The church kept rolling. The church kept moving. The church kept growing. God's power is displayed in that his word continued to spread and to flourish. The work of God went on, and the persecution couldn't stop it. It, it, We hear the echo from Jesus, right? I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not stop it. This is the goal of all that God does this his purpose it, to spread the fame of his son who saves sinners and glorifies the Father. You will not, nor will anyone else ever stop the purpose of God. That's why Peter can sleep. That's why he understands what winning looks like. Peter understands that God is in control and sometimes God will show that control by empowering an escape from prison. But he also knows that God is in control and he will also demonstrate his power by doing something supernatural even in martyrdom. That's the point of Acts chapter 12. God is in control over this little Herod in both cases. Now we're kind of quick to go, I recognize when, when Peter escapes from prison, now that looks like God's in control. But when James dies by the sword, I don't know if that looks like God's in control. And I think that's exactly why Acts chapter 12 is here. It is is God showing us the clarity in both cases. God's supernatural power is being poured out, even when life is taken for standing in his name. When you read the New Testament story, you got guys like the Apostle Paul, right? Right? In the first century, he is speaking about being imprisoned to the Philippians. This is what he says in Philippians chapter 1 verse 14. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. What's Paul saying? Here's what he's saying. My suffering hasn't caused the rest of the church to go into hiding. My suffering, God has actually supernatural empowered so that the church is standing taller than she's ever stood before. People are bolder than they've ever been before. How do you explain that? God, it's the same supernatural power that makes gates open by themselves. He makes hearts rise with courage. He makes hearts bold to speak the name of Jesus. It is supernatural power. Man, when, when people lose their life for following Jesus, it like it, it puts you face to face, right? Makes you think about eternity. It, it makes everybody else, right, think about the reality of their faith. It, it makes you think about the small and temporary pursuits that we sometimes find ourselves chasing that leads us to an anxiety over some temporary trivial, it will supernaturally change hearts. In 225, Christian defender of the faith by the name of Tertullian has a similar message that the Apostle Paul had. This is what he said to his enemies, we multiply whenever we are mown down by you. The blood of Christians is the seed of the church. He's like, you think you're stopping us, but that's not how God works. A hundred years later, Jerome had these words to say, the church of Christ has been founded by shedding its own blood, not that of others, by enduring outrage, not by inflicting it. Persecutions have made it grow. Martyrdoms have crowned it. I'm telling you throughout the centuries, God has proven his power even in those who are martyred God did not score a touchdown with Peter and fumbled the ball with James. In those moments of life where it looks like God has given the ball to the other side, right, for a few downs, I'm telling you, it is only when that is a part of the winning. God wins. He wins. And when you stay with him, you win. This This whole conversation, it it is a it is a part of nothing to lose. It's been a while since we even visited that, but but that little phrase, that that little imagery, that's what we chose this year when we read Luke's gospel and when we read the book of Acts, it is this understanding of winning that I can I can all out follow Jesus because I really have nothing to lose. He has given me eternal life. He has promised me everything that is, that, is, that is, right, eternal. I have nothing to lose. We knew when we picked the theme that this would be a fight for us to see. Because for many, especially in the church in America, how we respond in times of loss does not look like we understand winning in the kingdom of God. That's why God gave us Luke chapter 12, um, Acts chapter 12. Today I encourage you to be encouraged by what God has given you. Some days, come on, we feel small in the craziness that is going on around us in this world. Some days we feel insignificant, right? Some days we feel overpowered, but the truth is if we stay with Jesus, we win, and those who oppose him are going to lose. The encouragement is don't be too impressed by temporary worldly triumphs over the gospel. There are certain days you wake up and you hear, they did, what? They did what? And this is happening where? And there are these temporary apparent, right, triumphs. Don't get too impressed over temporary worldly triumphs over the gospel. I'm telling you, when the world begins to get more and more hopeless, that's the feeling, in every instance throughout history, the good news of Jesus and the good news of the peace that he brings gets louder and louder. Don't hear me wrong. There are some days I get up and I am just feeling the frustration of this world is doing what? And then I am reminded he wins. And the excitement that we get to have when we wake up in a crazy world sometimes, days you just go, Can this thing get worse? Like at this pace. Like, where's this going? And I'm telling you where it's going. It's going to a he wins. And as the hopelessness gets, right, intensifies, I'm telling you the good news of the hope of who Jesus is, it gets louder and it gets louder and it gets louder. My encouragement to you today is to be bold and to be courageous as you spread the good news of Jesus and entrust the outcome to God because he wins. God, when I first, you know, when I first started studying this chapter, it just felt like such an odd piece in the whole story. There's this wrestling match for us of what happened to James and what happens to Peter. Peter. But God, I want to thank you for some clarity. God, I want to thank you for helping us to to not just read today, but God, to, to be able to understand today. And my prayer is that, God, you would give us eyes to see clearer than ever what winning looks like in the kingdom of God. God, it certainly doesn't mean that we don't grieve in times of loss. God, there are times that we witness things. There are times that we, we lose people we love. There are times we see people hurt, and yes, we grieve. But we don't grieve like people without hope. And so I just simply pray, God, that today's story, the purpose for which I believe you gave it, God, would you encourage your people God, would you lift hearts, God, lift eyes again that we would see you, that we would be reminded of how loud the hope will be in the darkness. God, would you encourage your people today, give them boldness, give them courage. God, give us faith. And may we live as a people who look like we know, We win because you win. It's in the name of Jesus that I ask it. Amen.